Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Again, I don't usually do announcements and teaching. I've used all my good jokes already, so we're going to have to barrel through this and right into it. That was a joke. Tough crowd. Thanks, Jeff. All right, so you made it, right? You made it through the holidays. You made it through New Year's. There's a lot of pressure. In 2019, the pressure starts mid-October, and that's when... Uh, no, not exaggerating like that. When like really the, the, the anxiety of Christmas sets in mid-October, you kind of rustle through ha- uh, Halloween, straight in to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the most overlooked thing because we're just fighting for fr- uh, Black Friday sales, and then we push into Christmas. There's a stress, anxiety of Christmas. It's over. There's this weird week between Christmas and New Year's where you forget what day it is, then you have New Year's, and then like that, you're supposed to just usher in 2020 and, and be fresh and rejuvenated. And I want to I wanna encourage you to say, if, if that's not where you're at, that's okay. Um, that's not where most of us are at. And if you have set something into uh, motion that was supposed to be a year-long resolution, and on the 5th of January it's already gone, let me encourage you um, that the, the Spirit can move at any point in your life and at any day in your life. And, and no matter what you set before you for growth and for stewardship in 2020, you still have more than enough time. Uh, to accomplish that. So I hope um, that your your New Year's found you well. I hope the the eager and optimistic view you have into 2020 is not gone. And I, I genuinely pray as, as someone who, who wakes up in the middle of the night just constantly uh, thankful and prayerful for the people in this room that I, I hope that this, this year finds you well and that um, you you walk in obedience and humble submission to God. I pray that you walk alongside the people in this room, and I pray that if this year doesn't find you well, you do everything even more, that you double down even more, because there's a really good chance that 2020 is going to treat some people in this room like it's never treated them before, and they're going to see the blessings and, and the beauty of life, and there's also going to be people in this room that 2020 is going to just kick in the gut, and either way, this room is here for you, either way, this Bible is here for you, and, and the God you serve is not looking forward to 2020, but the God you serve is in 2020. The God you serve is in February, in July, in November. He's there. And that should give you nothing but peace and and sovereign grace to know that the God we serve and the God that loves us and the God that stewards over us is already in the place that you're worried about, the place that you have anxiety about, the place that, that is in the back of your mind that you can't take a really good breath until that day is over, that your God's there right now and ready to love you and cherish you and walk you through it. So 2019 um, was a really busy year for Trinity Church. Um, we saw a lot of changes. I actually didn't realize how many changes we saw until I looked back and kind of reflected, and I forgot how much we did in 2019. Uh, one of the biggest is we kind of uh, we changed our name to better reflect us. We were Trinity Parish, and now we're Trinity Church. It's a small change, but it's a big one. Um, uh, we did a time change. We were able to kind of grow. So we're if you're if you're new to this room, we're a really young church. We're in our three. We're we're four years in from our planting, so that means we're four years from someone had the idea of Trinity Church, and, and we're still kind of growing, and, and there's been this, this beautiful faithfulness of God as, as an infancy, as a baby church. So my, my dad is a pastor. I'm actually fourth-generation pastor in my family, um, and they all uh, have pastored. Um, every man in my family that is a pastor has pastored a really traditional church. Uh, my dad just celebrated his 48th year of pastoralship over the same church. So when I talk about him, when well, I talk about our church in its fourth year, he is, it's hard for him to look at me without just kind of grinning and being like, oh, son, it's the, the best is yet to come, but you've got four years, bro. I just, 
47 years. So um, we are we are an infant church, but it's been a beautiful, sad, awesome, amazing, beautiful, faithful four years. Uh, we 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 grew into our new worship room. So this room we've only been in a year. Um, uh, but there's been beautiful, steady growth, and I'm really eager to see what God has in store for this church, for this people in 2020. It's, it's going to be beautiful, and, and I'm just honored to be a part of it. Um, but here's something we've always done, at least for the last three years, under, under my pastoral ship, is at the beginning of our church, we reorient, we reorient ourselves to the foundations of who we are as a church, who we are as believers, and what we want to be. And we do that by teaching through our identity series. So if this is your first Sunday, it's a great time, because you're going to find out what we're about and what we what we uh, pride ourselves in being. And, and some of that, is, or all of that, is really encompassed into our mission statement, which is love God, love others, make disciples. So I'll say it again, love God, love others, make disciples. And some of you are like, that's a really simplistic motto. That's the point. I want you to be able to regurgitate that every day. I want you to understand what that means. I want you to profess what that means. And I want you to embody what that means. And I believe from a corporate teaching standpoint that once you understand and are able to grasp hold of it, once you're able to dwell the meaning, that it will embolden you to live it out. Um, first, you have to actually open up your heart and understand, like, you have to love God. You have to then, if you love God and you say you love God, and you act out that love, then you have to love others, and then we have to be about God's work. We have to be about our Father's business, and we have to make disciples. So what we're going to do in this next series, uh, moving forward through January into the very beginning of February, is we're just going to walk through our identity statement, and today we're going to rest in loving God, which I know that, that's a really big statement. That's a, that's a really broad statement. It can be generic, but we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty because I want you to, one, to, to actually do what you profess in loving God, but I want you to know that it actually means you have to act. Love in the Bible is never just an emotional feeling, but it is a call to action. And we're always going to start with our fundamentals. We're always going to get back to the basics. Because I think that's where real growth can happen. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of you diving into to, to biblical, uh, biblical uh, books and studies and your study Bible. And I want you to always push to know more and more and more about your faith. I never want you to be just about academic knowledge. But I do believe that the more you understand, the more you'll be emboldened to share the truth of Christ. But I also believe that we always have to revert back to the basics. We always have to reaffirm our foundation, reaffirm the pillars of our faith because that's just um, the best way to growth. That's actually more just a personality trait of myself. I'm a big proponent of the basics. I, I, I pride myself in being a methodical person. And, and in all skill sets that I have or I need for work, um, I like to always refine them. I like to get better and push to be more and more and more. But understanding you can't build on a weak foundation. You can't build on a faulty pillar. You have to understand who you are, who you've been called to serve, and what that looks like Monday through Friday and seven days a week where you, where you can't just be about pretending on Sunday morning or pretending on Wednesday night when your family group meets, but that if you love God, it is the totality of who you are. That's going to lead us today to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. If you want to turn there right now, it's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read it out loud. There should be a Bible next to you. Um, but that, this is uh, one of our core scriptures that we always attach to loving God. Uh, and, and we're going to walk through why that is. Um, if you would stand, uh, we're, we're going to stand in the reverence of God's holy word. I'm going to read it out loud and it will be behind us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Here we go. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall be, they shall be as fortlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. You may be seated. Let me pray over us and we're going to dive in. God, thank you for today. Thank for you. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to gather in your name and to worship in your name and to dive in to this word. God, I pray that what would whatever uh, distract us in the next few minutes, that you would just eradicate it from our our hearts and our minds, and that we'd be able to still focus <coughs> on your word for your ways. Amen. All right. Um, so, like I've said, the last three years, we've always started with our identity theories, and we've always started with love God, and, and we, we have always attached scripture with this. So, and, and if you look at our website, and you look at where do we get the idea of loving God, which I know sounds a little silly, because if I gave you a test right now, and it was a checkbox or a circle, and you said, like, should we love God, you'd all check yes, or you'd circle true, um, but we, we need to be able to explain why. We need to be able to explain how. Um, so the Shema, or as it's called Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4 through 9, which is the morning and evening prayer or the battle cry for the nation of Israel, is what we always revert back to. It's one of our basics. It's honestly one of my favorite scripture because of the rhythm of what it is. It's, it's a proclamation. It's a declaration of truth. It is a morning and evening prayer that Israel has said for thousands and thousands of years because of how applicable it is in your daily life, how true it is, and how it shapes you into being the person you have to be 365, 24-7, and how it, how it kind of uh, self-explanatory forces you into being either completely re- dependent and relying on God's love, or it shows you that you're, you're living in half measures. So we're going to break down the scripture a little bit, and then we're going to do some application. So in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel. And here, in, in Hebrew, is actually translated to Shema. That's why it's called the Shema. So in Shema means hear or listen. And what's really important for you to understand about this passage is that when it says hear or listen, it's just not talking about sound waves. It's not 2018 where I'm yelling at my son to listen. Hey, I just want you to hear what I'm saying so you can do it. Um, it it's talking about an all-encompassing listening, understanding, ingesting, pay attention, and then obey. There's actually in Hebrew not two words for listen and then obey. It's just shema. You have to shema the commands of God and you have to shema the commands of God. You have to listen and then obey. So you, when you obey the commands of God, you're shemaing. It's a beautiful understanding, and they're not trying to be cute or simplistic. They're saying that's the only true way to listen. The only true way to hear is to obey, is to act. Because if you're not acting, obeying, understanding God's command, then you must have not heard them right. It's a complete devotion. It's a call to Shema. If you hear and you listen to what God is going to command you, then you have no other choice but to act. And I'm going to, I'm going to press this upon you because it's really hard uh, to see this sometimes because we think sin is action, but it's actually sin is omission. When God lays upon you a command or a, com- uh, or a calling, you are going to respond and you're going to act. It just may be in disobedience or it may be in obedience, but either way, there's an action. There's a requirement there. When God says you're going to live a certain way, you're either going to shamal my commands or you're going to not. You Sometimes we think, well, I didn't do anything wrong, but sometimes the gravest sin in our lives is the things we've left undone or the things that we have not acted upon. 
So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So this is not really speaking into the, tri, uh, the triune God aspect of God where he's trying to play out Father, Son, and Ghost. He's actually right here in this declaration sentence saying there is just one God. And when Moses laid out this declaration, he knew one of the greatest threats to the nation of Israel, which is still the greatest threat to 2019, is divided allegiance. He understood that they were going into the land of Canaan where they were uh, polytheistic, where there wasn't uh, a belief in necessarily one God, it was all gods. And that's where a lot of people are in 2019. It's not that they want to rebuke who Christ is or rebuke who God is. They're just going to add them onto the mantle of deity in their life. They're going to say, yes, uh, God is the God of my life, and so is finances, and so is lust, so is uh, sin, so is this, and so is that. There's so many things that we want to put on the same playing field as God, and we want to divide our allegiance, and that's exactly where Satan wants you. Satan wants you confused and lost about who's actually compassing your life. And Moses knew that as the nation of Israel is walking into Canaan, as they're walking into this polytheistic world, World where there was going to be a lot thrown at them in the way of religion and scriptures and and and, and uh, deities and spiritual life. He wanted them to know that when they walked proudly as children of God, that they were actually serving the one true God. So when he says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one," he's like, "I want you to put your chest out in in honor and pride, saying that me as as a child of God, me as as Israeli, or me as a saved son and daughter in 2019, I serve the only God." Anything else that tries to get in their way is slippery idolatry. I serve the one true God. Verse 5, there's then goes on to a command that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And I love the, the, the intentionality of the words because it doesn't say you should or you might. It says what? Shall. There is no option. If you are serving the one true God, you have no choice but to love that God. And then it opens up to what that love looks like. That you have to love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And there is some translational importance here into those specific words used. When you see that, uh, you see the words "shall love with all your heart." When this book was written, they weren't—they weren't, they weren't uh, internalist medicine doctors. They weren't saying the heart is the blood uh, pump, and it's really what keeps the blood sustaining. But it also—it also works in tangent with the lungs and the brain. No, at the time of this writing, the heart was the, the center of desire, the brain, the, the decision maker. Uh, we, uh, the, the will and the attention of who we are is to, derived by our hearts. And you see that a lot in Scripture where they say um, uh, where the heart goes, so does the body, so does the, the mind, so does the family. So when he says love them with all your heart, he's saying as your center of desire and will and attention, and, and so goes our desire, so go our actions, and so everything that has to do with who we are and what we want to be from the, the very center center of us is our heart. And he said, you have to love God with all your heart, all your attention, all of your, all of your calling, all of your will, all, everything that is your decision making, your processing, and, and your being is your heart. You have to love God. Then he moves on to soul. Soul is understanding as the entire being, head to toe. So the heart is what was the decision maker, but the soul was the total encompassing body of who you are. So every part of your body, every part of your life had to love God. Your desires had to love God. Your body had to love God. And then the word might is told in there, and might's really confusing because it has nothing to do with what we think of as traditional strength 
in 2019, but he says, when you love God with your heart, soul, and your might, it means your total capacity. So you have to love God with all of your desire. You have to love God with your entire being, being and then and in those two embodied in, in themselves, you have to love God with everything you have. You have to love with everything you are. There is no room for moderation. And I know in 2019, we don't like that. We don't like to be solely out. We want to hedge our bets. We don't like to be solely devoted. We don't like to be solely committed because that, that makes us weak and vulnerable in the eyes of, of our worldly brothers and sisters. But when God calls you to serve Him, it is complete and utter devotion. Anything else is moderation, and moderation is for cowards. Moderation is for someone who, who wants, a, who wants a, a foot out the door in case this faith thing gets hard or in case this biblical community thing gets messy or in case this church requirement and biblical calling is something they don't actually want to do. They want a foot out the door so they can exit stage left. But that's not what loving God is. Loving God is saying everything I have is yours. I'm just a steward and everything I am is, is worshiping and loving you. He then goes in uh, to talk about we have to teach these to our children. If we actually believe them, then we have to pass it on to our kids. We put a high emphasis in the education of our children. Our kids are being educated right now. We do not at Trinity Church believe that the, the kids down the hall are the next generation of Trinity Church. We believe they are Trinity Church and they will be taught accordingly. It's just important as what Jessica Glitz is teaching to our kids right now is what I am teaching you. That, that, that we understand that we have to rise up the next generation of disciples. We have to do everything we can to point our kids to Christ. If there's anything that has called me to a better version of myself is understanding that I have a son right now that just wants to be dad. Everything he is, he wants to be dad. He won't take off the boots that don't fit. He can't run on them. He can't climb in them because dad wears boots. So Asher has to wear boots. He doesn't like socks. And that's a problem. But... <laughs> Everything. And, and, and at first, it was this awesome thing. A few of you have been home when I've come home. You come hang out with Joe, and, and or you're, you're home. I know Hillary's at the house a few weeks ago. And um, when I get home, Asher's just, ah, Dad's home. Someone to wrestle with, and let's talk about man stuff. He told me last night, I just want to talk about man stuff with you. And I said, okay. And I was getting worried because I was like, man. What is that? What, are you sure you don't want to talk about, like, puppy dog pals um, or rocketeer? And he's like, no, let's talk about man stuff. And I said, what are we talking about? Tacos. <laughs> okay. I can, I can do that. I can do that. I thought, like, it was coming super fast. Like, 2019, but this is still too fast. You're three. Um, but everything he is, he thinks his dad's cool. He thinks all I do is punch bad guys in the face um, and and wear boots. And that's, there's not, that's not... Technically untrue, um, but it's not the summation of who I am. Um, so uh, everything he does, so that, that has put an emphasis on me that I just have to point him to God. Everything he does, because I'm going to fail him. It breaks my heart. I don't want to cry in front of you, like really weird on like day one of identity series. But I'm going to fail him, but I know a father that won't. So my only job is to teach him diligently and point him to, to ultimate hope, ultimate joy, ultimate peace. And then it says, surround yourselves with truth. When it says, put it, uh, uh, bind it on your hand and your wrist. 
uh, put it on as a forelet, which was something that would just rest right here on your mind. Put it on your gates, put it on your uh, your doorpost. So what it's saying is, everything you believe, all the callings I've done, the Shema, the hear, the listen, obey, the respond, love God with your heart, love God with your soul, love God with your mind. All of that has to be the totality of your life. It has to round who you are. It has to be what you are when you rise and when you sit, when you talk with your kids, when you, when you walk out your doorpost, it's what you need to see. When you walk out your gate, it's what you need to see. When you look down at your arm, it's what you need to see. I took it literally. I literally tattooed the Shema around my hand. You shouldn't do that unless you want to. I'm not saying you need to, but I took, there was a point in my life where I just took a lot of things literally, and then the tattoo artist that I'm friends with kind of stepped into that spot. Um, but everything we're about has to be the love of God. We are called to love God. We were created to love God. We were called to worship God. Nothing makes sense apart from the creation worshiping the creator. So I want to hit you with some practical things because I'm, I'm clearly aware of that the fact that I'm telling you to love God seems like, Tim, get to something a little more specific that's really the gist of every day of my life or every teaching that I teach from uh, you corporately should be encompassed in loving Christ. Um, but I want to talk about the hows and the whys. So first of all, who is God? We serve a triune God. He's our creator. Genesis 1 through 3 walks us through the creation. Um, uh, we did a Genesis study earlier on in this year, and we just walked about the, the beauty and intentionality of a God who loved us and created us. He's also our Savior. We see as Christ born um, in a manger, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and then rose again, conquering hell and the grave, that He's our Savior. So He's our creator. He's our Savior. And then... One of the more un, more understood or less talked about is he's our sustainer. We have the spirit that sustains us every day. There's a peace that promises uh, that will pass all understanding, but that peace comes from God through Christ and by the spirit. So everything they do is, is, is in concert with themselves. There's nothing that God does that he doesn't do through Christ. And there's nothing that Christ does that's not by the spirit. I know that can be a little confusing and I don't have time to, to walk us through uh, uh, Trinitarianism, but we believe in, in the three in one God and we serve him and are called to love him. Then why love God? So John 3.16 pretty much lays that out that we, we love God because he loved us so much that he sent his only son. But one passage that I want to kind of leave on your heart is, is a little more in-depth. It, it, it's the same uh, concept of John 3.16, but it lays out how much love and grace God has. So I'm going to turn to Ephesians 2. I'm going to read it out loud. You can turn there if you want, but we're going to only be there for a second. So Ephesians 2, chapter 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, and now at work in the sons of disobedience and among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's Paul in really fancy terms and saying, you were dead in your trespasses to sin because you were an enemy of God. The beautiful thing about being a son and daughter of God is that we were born enemies and then adopted. He chose us, and then we were able to go to our, our Father in the throne. But we were born in the dead trespasses of our life in the way we once want, walked. But in verse 4, you see the two most beautiful words in Scripture when you see, uh, he say, But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. 
By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, uh, and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus, so that in the common place in Christ, so that, sorry, sorry, in the common age, he might show his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So why do we love God? Because he created us. He gave us everything. He gave us salvation. He gave his only son. So we were able to walk with him. We were able to pray to him. We were able to, to live out our callings. We loved God because we were a wretched, broken sinner. And then he loved us with the ultimate sacrifice. So I'm going to leave you with today with just how do we love God? All right, I totally understand there's a God, Tim. I believe it. I'm here on Sunday. I, pro I profess it. I believe it. I walk it. I believe there's a God. I love him. I understand. I've memorized John 3.16. I understand but God and the mercies of grace. But how do I actually love God? I'm trying to be a good person. I'm as broken as I believe Ephesians tells me I am. But I don't know how to take the next step of how. And, and there's really just a few ways to love God. And one, it's just to repent and be saved. And I pray that I never take for granted of the salvation level of this room. I don't want to ever preach at you assuming that you're something that you're not. And you need to hear this from, from the bottom of my heart as I profess truth, that if you are not a child of God, that's the first way to love God, is to understand who He is, what He did, and then how you're supposed to respond in wake of those truths. And how we respond is saying, I understand that Christ died for me, and the only way to heaven, the only way to be reconciled, the only way to be atoned is to trust Christ as my Savior and act accordingly. So your first step is just to repent and be saved. And the second is just obey. And I know Tim, there's like a million things to obey. I'm not saying there's not. I'm not saying there's a million decisions you're going to have to make tomorrow where the easy way is disobedience, but the hardest thing you've ever done is obedience into God's call, into God's will. But you are called to obey. And it's as simple as this. If you ever have to wonder how to pray for someone, if you ever think, Tim, I know there's a lot on you. I get that a lot. Tim's like, Tim, people are constantly worried about my burnout ratio, right? Tim, you do too much. Or Tim, maybe you don't do enough. I don't know where your heart's at. Um, <laughs> pray for this. Pray for obedience. Because the rest going to fall in line. The, the, the teaching schedules, the worship schedules, the administration, all of that. If you're wondering how to pray for your brother and sister, if you're wondering how to pray for your family group, if you're wondering how to pray for your pastor, your staff, just pray for obedience. Because if I answer yes to the call of God, and I answer in obedient fashion, if I say yes to who I'm supposed to be, and I walk in obedience, then everything else will fall into place. That doesn't mean that everything's going to fall in place in an orderly fashion, and that life's going to be easy. Obedience cost most of the people in the New Testament their life, and they died bad. But they died in obedience to Christ, and, and, and they died with peace in their heart. And that's what I pray for you in 2020, that you live an obedient life in 2020. That, that, that God calls you uh, to be the son and daughter uh, of the professed Savior, and that you say yes at every turn. Obedience means you're going to dwell in His Word. And it doesn't mean read for the sake of reading. And it doesn't mean academic knowledge for the sake of academic. But it means that your Bible is your refuge and your storm. And that you're able to go there in your time of need. That the Bible is a thing that you cling to. The Bible is your sword when you're in spiritual warfare. That everything that, that God wants you to know and that God's given you to fight is Scripture. I highly encourage you reading the Bible through in a year, not because I don't think it's easy. It's not easy, and there's times it can get dogmatic, and there's times that it can be hard, but it forces you into God's holy word every day. And there's a lot of beautiful uh, reading plans. I'm doing uh, the, the Bible project this year, and it's just really great. It's really thought out. It's really intentional. It's 
not too late. You don't have to finish in a year. I just want you to be in the Bible every day because it will rejuvenate you. It will focus you and it will point you to truth. If you're going to obey, you're also going to pray. You're going to pray without ceasing. Prayer is not just a simple action, but it's a way of life. And then you're going to walk humbly with God. 2019 was a beautiful year. 2020 has nothing but optimism and eagerness at this point. We're so early on in this year, but I know that there's going to be stuff thrown at us, good and bad, and I know the only way to combat it is to obey and love God, love our Creator, love our Savior, and love our Sustainer. I love you. I want good things for you. I'm going to walk alongside you this year. I'm, I'm excited to help shepherd this this flock. I'm excited to help lead this staff. I'm excited to, to help lead the leadership of this church. And, and I want to do life with you. I want I want us to walk in obedience together, so we may know the beautiful and the the beauty and the fruit of God. Let me pray over us. We're going to end with one song. God, thank you for today. Thank you for sending your son. God, there are days I I don't understand Ephesians two because I'm I'm sold into Ephesians one through four where I'm just this broken wretched thing, but the but God doesn't make sense to me, and I'm just thankful for the but God. I'm thankful for the opportunity that I may be saved through faith and grace of something I didn't earn, but that was freely given by, by my Creator. God, I pray uh, that this week finds this room well, that this week finds this room in, in obedience and walking humbly with their Savior. God, I pray all things in your name. Amen.